Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Gastola. This is the Dissenter Weekly, and thank you for joining. I'm doing a special edition with a guest. Typically, uh, I just do the show and I host it and go through some whistleblower stories, but uh, we're having Sonia Kennebec on today to talk about some of her latest films. She's done the United States versus Reality Winner. She's worked on Enemies of the State, a project that we'll get into. And then she also worked on the national or, or was the director for National Bird on drone whistleblowers, which featured Daniel Hale and has taken on renewed importance since his Espionage Act prosecution. So thank you for joining, Sonia. Thanks for having me, Kevin. And, uh, and so to begin, let me start in a way that um, doesn't really get into the issues in those films, but it helps me to kind of know how you come to this work. I guess, what was your, you probably get this a lot on the circuit as you go from theater to theater, festival to festival and present your movies. But I am interested in, you know, what led you to, to do this documentary film work just because of, um, and, 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 to, and to select these kinds of stories, to tell stories like this. Yeah, thanks. Actually, the question doesn't come that often after my films because people usually really want to talk about the content of, of my films, which um, makes me very happy because that's, that's what I, I make them for. I really want people to have discussions afterwards and, and think about the, the issues and the subject matters um, because I, I care so much you know, about them myself. Um, kind of my story and my particular interest in, in national security goes back to 9-11. Um, I was actually, so I was born in Malaysia, I grew up in Germany, and I had a scholarship to study in Washington, D.C. Um, in, in 2001. And I arrived just um, a week or so before 9-11. And I was actually interning at that time at NBC News. And so I was at the Pentagon the day after. And I also had four friends who survived the World Trade Center attacks in New York. So, um, yeah, the, you know, all the events like for, for a lot of people, um, of course, but um, yeah, impacted me very personally. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it really like afterwards, I wanted to learn more and I wanted to find out more about the context and understand um, more about the lead up to it. So I applied for a, a master's program in international affairs and uh, international politics. And, and that's really, you know, where I was coming from. I come from the, the content. I actually never studied film. Um, I haven't even taken a film class. I, I, I kind of, you know, I came from the content and then the journalism. Um, I worked uh, full time while, while I was studying. And um, and I yeah I worked as a as a as a journalist and a producer and so I started in broadcast first which was you know accessible and it was also yeah I I, I loved the type of work and then um, I transitioned into independent documentary film because I really I didn't want to be constricted by the broadcast format and I wanted to in investigate longer and and deeper. Mm -hmm. So. And uh, I, I really appreciate that. And uh, so we'll stick to the uh, the subject matters of, of your films. Uh, 
even though I'm a bit of a of a film geek myself, and uh, you know, uh, I don't miss the fact that you're you know you're so good at what you do that you're able to attract the attention of people like Errol Morris, who is able to lend uh, support as an executive producer, and um, you know, it is tremendous to see people like that um, giving support to these kinds of mm -hmm. films. Um, I think that must be an honor for you to have people step forward uh, who are in the film profession who, who want to tell these kinds of stories. Um, and did you have Wim Wenders as well um, supporting some of your films? Yeah, yeah. And I actually, um, I, I reached out to them, you know, without having a prior personal connection. Um, I contacted both of them for National Bird um, to, you know, lend support as executive producers because I knew that would be a very high risk project. And I, you know, being an independent, you know, documentary filmmaker, um, I, I thought it would help support and also protect the project. And that's how I approached them. And I, you know, showed them a work sample and I actually met Vim Benders first and he watched, you know, the, the, the first work sample that I did. And he said immediately, um, whatever I can do to support you, I'll, I'll do. And he's been such, you know, a, a tremendously important mentor for me um, doing this, you know, very challenging work, um, to be honest. Yeah. So National Bird, uh, the film about drone whistleblowers, uh, you you we're working on this, uh, let's say 20, when did you start, 2012? Or how early did you get involved in putting together the story? Yeah, I I started production and deep research probably around early 2013. Um, I remember it was prior to the Snowden revelations and before, um, you know, a any drone whistleblower actually spoke out, you know, widely and and publicly. I, I definitely have followed sort of like the technology of drones and how it was, you know, being used and spread for a while before that, because the first reported drone strike, um, you know, was um, supposedly in 2001. And, and I think what attracted me first was the secrecy around it, in, in fact, because it, there was so little little known. And that's how I started you know, just digging deeper and reading a lot about it um, and realizing how little information was was out there. And that's when I started looking specifically for people from within the drone program who could speak out, you know, who had who had worked with military drones. And so um, I, I know of Lisa Ling as one of the drone whistleblowers that is profiled, but then also Daniel Hale is someone else who is profiled. And uh, and Daniel, well, you you wrote a very good letter to the judge and trying to help him win some leniency and have a. a, a reduced sentence to show that he, to help show that he's a person of conscience. Daniel does a pretty good job himself. Um, he did, uh, he wrote a very moving letter to the judge. I didn't get to be in court. Um, you were in court, right? For, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, what was it like to hear him give before I talk about something in the past? 
What was it like to be in court and hear Daniel Hale speak to the judge? It, it was extremely impactful and also emotional, I, I have to say. Um, you know, his he, he's extremely eloquent. I think his writing, um, also, like it, it resonated with everyone who was in the court. And I felt also very strongly with the judge. And it actually reminded me of um, the Winter Soldier testimonies um, around the, you know, Vietnam War in the early 70s. Um, yeah, where, you know, people were listening to, to testimonies of, of veterans. And I, I really felt that more people should have been able to hear him. You know, I, I, while I was listening to, to him testifying and, you know, ex, you know, really on a, such a personal level, explaining the reasons for his whistleblowing and his experiences with military drones and so on. It, it, I, I did feel that many, many more people should have been, been witness to this. It was very important. And, and that's why, you know, it's, I, I knew um, how important it was for him, you know, during the filming of National Bird to educate people about the secret drone war because it, it, there has been such a discrepancy between, you know, this worldwide war essentially, and the, the way this technology had been used for such a long time, and the, you know, the, how little the citizens in this country know about it. Like I've seen it when I was touring with the film National Bird. Like people came out, you know, crying after screenings and said things like. Um, I, I had no idea these drones carry bombs or that these drones are, you know, as large and as massive as they are, or they thought that, you know, it, they, they would, um, you know, just because of the way the, you know, politicians have been using, you know, describing drone warfare as like these precision strikes that people, you know, had an impression that they would, you know, work like a sniper and that a, a drone does not carry these, you know, bombs and hellfire missiles. So um, I think his, his testimony there, but also, you know, previously, everything that he has shared to educate people has been in the public interest. Yeah. And so in your letter, you share with the court what your experience was with Daniel in putting together the documentary. And I think you get into some of the struggle that Daniel had in opening up to you about his work as a person who was a signals intelligence analyst involved in the US military's drone program. Can, can you describe, you know, some of what you, like to me, this was what you found to be the most important of your time with Daniel and putting together this documentary. And, and so what, what were you sharing with the judge? So um, we, we began filming um, prior to the raid on, on, on his home. And what, um, you know, I, I saw from the very beginning, you know, from our first interviews is that he is a very cautious person. He's very considerate. He's very thoughtful. Um, I have seen him to be an extremely principled person. And, and that's kind of, you know, how um, 
you know, we started um, working together on, on this documentary film, what I shared with a judge. And then, you know, in the middle of production, he, he was raided by the FBI. And that was, and what I saw in the following years was um, quite heartbreaking, to be honest. Um, he, he was under, you know, this sort of Damocles, you know, like there, there's so much uncertainty and so much secret, secrecy around Espionage Act investigations that are, I think, inhumane. And, um, and the not knowing and not, you know, receiving information for years. And, and that's what went on in, in his case. Um, Daniel was not indicted for many, many years. And until, you know, between the raid um, in mid-2014 and then the sentencing a few weeks ago, I mean, seven years had passed. And, and that's what, um, you know, I really wanted to judge to know that he had not been, you know, free during this time, that he had been, you know, under tremendous, you know, hardship and pressure. And um, yeah, there are a lot of examples that he, he, he shared, Daniel shared with me how difficult it was for him to even, you know, have like a regular life and build up normal relationships because you have to assume that you are under constant surveillance. So the, 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 the long time that had passed was, I, I mean, it's, is, it's, it's really incomprehensible. Yeah. And uh, this, yeah, this cloud of investigation hung over Daniel for so very long and I, it, it's impossible to start your life. And the problem here is that there's never any closure. The mm -hmm. government never says to you that they aren't going to charge you. In fact, they refuse to make those kinds of announcements. So, so when you put out this, when you put out this film, and he had not been indicted, um, did that have any effect as you toured with the film? Uh, I, I did it put a limit on how Daniel could participate in sharing his story with you at, let's say, film festivals? Um, I think, I mean, we were, and I was always very, very careful, in particular around um, his case, because, you know, it, it was still open. We didn't know where it would go. Um, but Daniel is also, which I also shared with the judge, he's a very modest person. He doesn't like to be in the center of attention um, whatsoever. That's why, you know, why I think what the prosecution was trying to, um, you know, the case they tried to make shortly before sentencing is that, you know, they, they, they were claiming that he did it, you know, for, for selfish, egotistical reasons. Um, it, it, you know, from my experience in getting to know Daniel, that is not, is entirely incorrect. Um, he, it, the, the way I experienced, you know, working with him was that he only went in front of the camera to share his, his ex experiences and shine light on the victims and survivors of drone warfare. That was his motivation. Um, you know, he was he was plagued, um, you know, and, 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 and traumatized by his his experiences. But he always until this day, he always wants to focus and wants people to focus on the victims and survivors. 
in in target countries who have been targeted by drones. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it really, um, you know, it wasn't um, that I, you know, felt that, you know, it was necessary for him, you know, to, to go on a tour or anything. And I, you know, and he, he really wanted to stay more in, in the background. But what I saw um, while we were screening the films, and we did a lot of community screenings, um, I was very lucky it was on PBS and then PBS, um, you know, public broadcasting sponsored a community screening tour. And we, we brought it for free to people in public libraries and so on across the country. And it, his story really resonated so strongly with people, with other veterans, um, with regular, you know, people who had nothing, who actually knew very, very little about the drone war and who cared about him. And that's why it's so important to, um, yeah, to, to share with the general public the impact that these espionage and act investigations have on whistleblowers because i think most people don't know and yeah. it's you know and and they you know and i think most people like when they it, i think most people actually support a free and independent press in yeah. this country right and um you know maybe not knowing that it's becoming more rare <laughs> to have a free and independent press but they also you know like do support um whistleblowing in the public interest and i think that's why um yeah you know the the, the government does try to cr keep these prosecutions and everything surrounding it so secret because i i don't think that the general public would actually agree with it if they knew the full scope of of what's happening let's talk about the united states versus reality winner documentary that you worked on and uh so first you know how did you get drawn into the story of reality winner is it just a simple that this was uh connected to the work that you had started with national bird yeah i you know when when the announcement was first made and became public that um you know another whistleblower had been arrested. Uh, I, I remember uh, probably the same day my my producing partner, Ines Hochmann-Kenna and I, we started you know, talking about it because these cases are so incredibly rare. Um, I, I, I sometimes think that, you know, because of movies and so on, and of course, you know, there are whistleblowers in, in other, um, you know, industries or, or um, you know, and other government agencies, but national security whistleblowers are, um, very rare because the stakes are so high and so um yeah when it was you know first published you know what uh, you, you just got more and more information what had happened um we 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 thought from the beginning oh maybe we should include it you know in in, in the film that we were working on which would later become um enemies of the state but we were still you know in in you know in earlier production and research for that and um, yeah, Enos encouraged me to fly out and just, you know, witness and, and, you know, go to see one of the pretrial hearings and maybe meet Reality Winner's family. And what I saw there, I found, you know, quite concerning is that there was so little coverage. And, um, and I know, you know, you and I, you know, we've, we, we've both like, tweeted and talked about and, you know, written about this before. Um, 
there is um you know such a lack or increasing lack now of um original reporting and people you know major news outlets you know sending um journalists on a regular basis to these type of pretrial hearings and events and i think you know it, it's this is this is an important part of our history and and of our current affairs and what's happening and we need witnesses to it and that was actually then one of the main reasons why my producing partner and i decided to take on the reality winner case as well and you know start documenting it um, essentially with very very little you know funding um because we thought it's like it's someone has to film it this is a historic case it's an important case this concerns the integrity of our elections you know election security like all about this case was yeah that seems so so crucial to us so that's kind of how we started without even you know knowing um like how we would continue you know raising the funds for this and 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 continue um yeah putting this together as a film you're absolutely right that there's just not a whole lot out there that, that that tells these stories. And I'm concerned that some who do have the ability to tell these stories instead will frame it as this like, why is nobody talking about reality winner? But then when you watch their you know, five to 10 minutes, if they're recording an internet video or, or when you read the, the piece, you don't really understand what's happening with the case. You just know that something bad is happening that shouldn't be happening, but you don't have the information that you need. And so that's good. I'm glad that your film exists because it is the, to me, the, the reason why I highly encourage you, if you're watching this and tuned into this video to go watch United States versus reality winner is because you make the central characters in the film the parents of reality winner and so i think for uh, maybe the first time in a documentary we get to see what that experience is for people who are shouldering this burden of dealing with the u.s government targeting their children uh their child and uh i am to me that's why uh it, it almost could have worked out if you had uh i i don't want to this is a spoiler-free broadcast, so I do not talk about the complexities of enemies of the state with too much detail. But you you center both the parents in and both of the films because um, you don't have access to the defendants who are the their children. Uh, but what you walk away with is an incredible story of what they are going through in dealing with the government coming and, and cracking down on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the, the story of the parents is so important because it, it, it kind of shows people that even, you know, even though the parents might have not been, you know, activists from the beginning and, you know, begun to, you know, street protests or, um, you know, had been advocates in a way that reality was already, um, you know, be, before her blowing the whistle, that it can still impact you. And, and I, you know, I think it's actually a very good example of, you know, also educating people about the dangers of mass surveillance and data collection, because 
um, it might, you know, it, it wasn't the, the parents who blew the whistle, you know, it wasn't her sister, um, but their communications all of a sudden became evidence in, in her pretrial hearings and the most, you know, private, you know, jokes um, be became entirely public. And, and I think that's just like another aspect of this case that does, you know, I think, you know, and I hope that it has a wider reach for people to understand that, you know, the argument, oh, I have nothing to hide, um, might, you know, like, you know, you, you might not know <laughs> that, you know, what could happen in the future to you or your family or people you are in contact with or how the government could change, you know, so, so strongly and all of a sudden there are no safeguards anymore. And, and things can be used against you, even though you have, you know, in theory, nothing to hide. And I think, you know, her case just has so many uh, sort of important educational aspects to it that, yeah, I wanted to, to transport. And then also, um, you know, for, for people who have, you know, um, maybe just read about her case, but didn't see the film, what I think was you know, important that we were able to really witness and also capture on camera is her harsh treatment. And and um, people who have seen the film, they, they come out, they, they are so surprised and shocked. And then they try to, you know, I don't know, think like kind of say that the perspective is an advocacy perspective or something of this film. And I, I'm a journalist and I can say, you know, openly to everyone, what I documented is what happened. We, we witnessed, we were there with the camera, there's no narration in the film, and we, we were just documenting what was going on. And yes, I think it was very harsh, and it was much harsher, the treatment of, of reality winner, than I, I would have actually anticipated. For both the films, for this one and then Enemies of the State, you were able to get audio of uh, that was primary source material, which you could use instead of having to uh, go with some kind of narration or as you could have had actors um, repeat lines from a transcript, but you have the, for the reality winner documentary, you have the interrogation audio. Um, and I'll just say that, uh, I was very familiar with the interrogation audio because I was able to see the, there's this play that was uh, produced. Um, I was invited by Billy Winter Davis, reality's mom, to go to the University of Michigan and uh, see it performed and, and appear on a panel with her. And you don't have to change any of the words at all. It's very cruel. Um, it, puts you in quite a scene and that's what you get in the play, but that's also what you get from your documentary is that like this, this sets up the grim nature of what is happening to reality incredibly well. And that's how you open your film. If I recall correctly, mm -hmm. you lead with the interrogation of reality. Yes. And um, it's, it, it is such a, such a key part of, of the film. And it's like such an incredible insight into the tactics of these FBI agents. And um, so we initially, like everyone else, had um, the, the transcript that the government had actually released. 
And so um, we started by um, filing Freedom of Information Act requests um, for the audio because I was making the case that they had already <laughs> released the transcript and it's it's public and it should be, you know, and, and, and it is in the public interest to to, um, you know, release the audio as well. And that went on for um, months and months, you know, the, the, the FBI really tries to avoid releasing any sorts of information and um, through the Freedom of Information Act request. So with the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, we actually sued the FBI and, um, and were successful, but we, we had already recorded the voices with actors. And okay. so just a couple of weeks before the world premiere, we finally, through that lawsuit, got access to the original audio. So, I mean, I mean, it was quite a lot of work and, and, you know, pretty high expenses, especially for an independent team, you know, to reopen the film and insert the original audio. But it's so important because I, I was, you know, I, I did a lot of research um, how, and I spoke to um, people who had, you know, witnessed these type of, um, um, interrogations and so on, you know, how do you get the right tone um, without actually hearing the, the, the audio or only in excerpts and, and, and court. So I did a lot of ground research, but it's like, it's still, you know, difficult, I think, it, for a documentary film to recreate it because you don't want yeah. to overdo it, right? And then to actually have the original audio and then, um, yeah, where you can hear the distress the reality is under. You can hear like the actual voices of these older male agents and reality, you know, as this young woman and, and, and then knowing the whole, like we actually filmed it. So we, we layered the audio over um, recreations um, of the images and we filmed in the actual, like the same house. Um, and in that same room, and it is very claustrophobic. I mean, the power imbalances are extreme in this situation. Yeah, and uh, of course, what you're kind of getting at is something that's not as sensitive now in documentary, but I know that it's something that Errol Morris had to deal with, uh, which is this idea that you shouldn't use reenactments in documentary uh, because it's not real life. You know, you're taking actors and you're making them perform. and did that really happen or did that not happen? Mm. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, so you worked on this and you worked on Enemies of the State, which recently was made available on multiple streaming platforms. And you've been able to take it finally to some film festivals. And this tells the story of, of Matt DeHart. And it's a much more complicated story than Reality Winner's story. And I think, you know, the, the, the takeaway for people, uh, we, you, can, you can say, if you want to go ahead and introduce Matt and, and what made you, what drew you into his story. But the thing I am most interested in hearing you discuss is like, it seems like you almost have the same dilemma that uh, Adrian Humphreys has, who you interviewed from the National Post, a Canadian journalist, is in there's so much secrecy around this and it's hard to know where to begin in order to start to sort out what is happening to this family. 
Yeah, it's it's an extremely complex case, um, and and I actually had known about it for quite a long time. I first heard about Matt DeHart when I was still in production for National Bird, and someone had told me um, one of my sources that he had worked that Matt DeHart had worked with military drones, and and that's that was my first introduction to the story. And the family was still in Canada during that time. And um, and I started um, looking into it, and basically the core story even back then was that um, yeah, Matt um, DeHart and his parents all all of them had served in, in in the military at some point, and the parents in particular they've been you know very very outspoken, and they've said that their son was tortured and framed by the FBI because he um, was active within the hacktivist group Anonymous and also an alleged WikiLeaks courier. And that um, the US government was, was after them. And, and at that point in time, they had fled to Canada to apply for political asylum. And I started reading you know, some of the court documents back then and decided quick, pretty quickly that I couldn't just um, include him in a film about military drones. Um, his story was way too complex and it also involved child pornography and um, yeah, a court case um, about that in, in Tennessee. And it just looked like a rabbit hole already from, from the beginning. But I, I couldn't forget about it um, because of, you know, like, yeah, the, the, all these layers and the fact that he... Um, yeah, had received, you know, a very heavy tranquilizer drug in, in, in an American jail, Thorazin, that um, there, there was evidence that he was um, mistreated. He ended up in an emergency room. A lot of, um, yeah, complicated um, parts of the story. And, of course, the FBI that wa was, um, you know, questioning him and interested in him for espionage. Um, in addition to that um, child pornography case in, in Tennessee. So yeah, once National Bird was released, I started digging um, into it and it it became more or was even more complicated than I initially had anticipated. Like it was a rabbit hole in a rabbit hole essentially. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, it, for me, it always like, you know, once I dug into it, it really fits into our times where I think yeah. sometimes you have stories that are not, you know, black and white and they are not simple and you can't just fit in a tweet. And for both the films, for Reality Winner and then for Enemies of the State, uh, you do have to deal with having people you interview who are seemingly at odds with each other. And, you know, you, I think there's a tendency to want to try to get them aligned, but then it does make for good viewing that they aren't on the same side of it. And in the reality winner film, there's tension over the intercept and their role with publishing reality winners document. I mean, in this film, enemies of the state, I don't want to give anything away, but there's tension over the parents and, 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 you know, whether you can trust what they're saying or not, but you still have to be, but I think I, I, I give you high marks and praise for the way you handle them consistently through the story and keep them as humans and, and never, 
never doubt that what they're saying comes from a genuine outrage and distress over what the US government did to their son. Yeah, and that was really important to me throughout. Um, you know, it, it, it was a very, Enemies of the State was an extremely challenging production for um, everyone on my team and, 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 and myself, just because, you know, we, we are sitting in interviews with our interview partners who are clearly very upset and distressed. And, you know, my director of photography and I, our associate producer, um, you know, we are all human beings as well, right? So, so we are, um, yeah, we, we, we are impacted by, by these interviews. And then we would go, you know, from one interview to the next. And we, we were, you know, confronted with an entirely different perspective. And, and some of the testimonies were, you know, conflicting and sometimes entirely contradictory. And, and that was, a, you know, a struggle throughout the production. You know, how do you, how do we reconcile that? And um, for me, it just, you know, increasingly became clear that, um, you know, I might not be able to do that and I shouldn't do it because that is what, you know, we could find in terms of testimonies and evidence. And, um, and I do think that multiple things can be true at the same time. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And, and what this film then really became is kind of a, a story into finding the truth. And, yeah. and it, yeah, it follows, you know, the, the whole, like, it, it is challenging, I think, you know, it's not like you can't just watch the film and be on your cell phone at the same time, you know, it definitely, you have to pay attention. But if you do, and you, you know, you really like, you know, go into it, it follows the journey of our own investigation. And, and, and what we, you know, what my director of photography, Torsten Lapp and I, you know, our editor, Maxine Goedeke, like every, like we have a very small team, you know, I've worked with them for a long time. And, and what you are experiencing in the film, I hope, you know, comes across as what we were experiencing as well as the journalists and the filmmakers, kind of, yeah, the, the, trying to figure out, you know, what is the truth here, especially when you have so much government secrecy still in the story. And eventually reaching that moment where like, this is the maximum you're gonna be able to learn. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm not gonna get into how you conclude the film, but what is important is the person who most could tell you what happened is um, in a criminal case, is accused of a crime and, 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 and couldn't talk to you while you're making this film. So, so uh, you're, you're left with the people who have competing interests when it comes to this truth. So uh, it's, it's a really solid film. And I don't think I've read a couple reviews of it. It did get, it was well-reviewed. Like there were multiple publications that put out uh, reviews of this film. I did read from a few that seemed to think you were glomming on, uh, this trend towards promoting conspiracy theories and, uh, like, uh, because of things that I can't tell people about how it resolves, um, they they sort of felt like uh, you were taking them for a ride and it wasn't fair what happened. And I, I just would say that like, 
that is a really insulting reaction to a lot of work that went into the film because it's clear that what you set out to do is tell a whistleblower story that's almost similar to the reality winner documentary. Um, in fact, I think if it wasn't that complex, I could have seen you combining the reality winner film and the Matt DeHart film into one project and and just tell it. And I, I know that that's yeah. how it initially started, but but you know if it wasn't so complex, it makes sense because you're you're using parents and. Um, and government and overreach. Largely, yeah. they come from rural areas of the country and they're not, um, you know, they're not what you'd consider like anti-war leftists in the United States. So it makes them interesting that they're having this transformation. I, Billy Winter Davis's transformation into somebody who's such a great advocate for reality, but now we'll speak about these cases. And then I was able, uh, I was really happy to see her come along and support Daniel Hale while he was going through mm -hmm. his sentencing. So that doesn't yeah. always happen. Um, a lot of times parents just think about their own case and then they want to move on, but it does seem like something was awakened in her and it must be, you must feel glad that you found, um, that, that a subject you worked with, is that compelling of a person and 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 that um that good of a person yeah it's been it's been really um yeah you know nice to to see her yeah kind of as you said like you know transitioning and and um and you i i think it's also really you know captured in the film and you know billy billy is an incredible um person and in the sense that she she has like rallied so much support for her daughter which um you know was extremely challenging especially in the beginning because you know i mean and it's what she was she was talking about a lot it's like you know no one was interested and there was so little media attention and i think a lot of it um, came through her and her constant, you know, strength and, and activism to, to do that. So, um, and it took, took years, of course. Right. Um, but, but yeah. And, and, um, with, with enemies, um, of the state, of course, and like, and, and that's what you, you've talked, you know, in the beginning too, you, you kind of have in both films, you know, this sort of parental love and support. For their children so that's certainly you know one of the big big similarities and um and yeah what you what you also said in 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 terms of how people see it i mean it you know for me this the enemies of the state was never about one singular case you know it it is the film is about that it, it actually is about so many more things and it's like i do encourage people also to watch it again because it's about you know surveillance and paranoia but not just paranoia of the people, but about state paranoia and government paranoia. I actually spoke to Thomas Drake about it, you know, how the government is so concerned and the FBI of, you know, leakers and spies and whistleblowers that part of the their reaction could be explained through that. So that's one layer. And then, of course, these contradictions, which are the ambiguity in, in this case, you know, and... Um, and I've said, you know, sometimes people, you know, want to have, you know, expect when they watch a film, everything's like wrapped up with a bow and it's like this perfect answer that the documentarian presents to you. 
Um, and yeah, some people feel extremely uncomfortable with ambiguity. But I think, you know, for me, this is this is partly the purpose of this film. You know, I want people to be more comfortable with ambiguity because that is, you know, a lot of what our experiences deal with today, you know, human behavior as well. Um, and not filling these gaps with speculations, even if you want to just like, you know, do your own critical thinking, question your own beliefs and expectations, what you want to believe, what we want to believe as journalists, right? So it's, it, it is, you know, a, a struggle. That's why I'm saying, you know, it's not, you know, it's not an easy film because it does challenge you to look into yourself as well, I think. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've seen people like you, but also, you know, um, others of the reviewers where I'm like, oh my God, they really get it. <laughs> so that's, that's been really, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's amazing when you do create art and this type of, you know, long-term investigations and it actually, you know, people understand it and it reaches the audience. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we should, I, I'd like to begin wrapping. Let's uh, go ahead and tell people. So, uh, these films, uh, you're still working on distribution for the reality winter film, right? Yeah. So we'll do festivals. Um, we, we have a couple of, um, festivals coming up in, in the fall. We, we always have to wait until the festivals, you know, announced. So I'll, I'll share it over, over Twitter, Sonia Kennebec, um, just my name. And, um, and yeah, we, we are currently, you know, as independent filmmakers looking for a wider distribution for this film. And, um, and then with Enemies of the State, um, it's, I think today or tomorrow is the last day, or today is actually last day, it's going to be at um, some theaters like IFC Center in New York, so you can catch the evening show. Um, but then it's also on streaming on demand. So regular platforms, iTunes, Amazons, and so on. So please spread the word because, yeah, independent films really um, rely on word of mouth. Yes, uh, and review it if you can. I know um, uh, it, it, that, that that's something you said to me that was important if you do stream these independent films, um, and not just for filmmakers like you. If you see a, a film made by an independent filmmaker who put their heart and soul into it, you really should review their work because this is tough. Um, you know, I think we're on, I think we're working with the same kinds of stresses uh, in independent journalism. There's many of the same stresses that you see in independent documentary. Uh, and in many ways, I think yours is probably a harder job because once you have a product, then you have to figure out how to get it out to people. Whereas like I can just, well, you could just throw it up on the internet, but that's not the best way to make use of what you just did. But, and uh, it's also yeah. not that easy yeah. because you need yeah. you know, insurances and licenses and so on, yeah. you know, like it's, yeah. it's sometimes, um, yeah, you know, like the, it's, it, it, it's hard, of course, because people are not part of this, this industry, but um, the distribution pathways are, um, they're very consolidated now. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, and so um, yeah, we really sort of you know require that um, you know that's this this you know broad support. I, I'm aware of the dilemma with uh, some place like PBS, where if you are making a film that could be watched in theaters, and that's how you produced it as as one that would be distributed for theaters, then you have to 
cut like a half hour out of your film because they would want it for television for like an hour. Uh, so that's it. There are so many things you have to deal with as a documentary filmmaker that make it, 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 it tough. So enemies of the state, um, reality winners out there. And then the other film we discussed was national bird, which is still on several platforms and will continue to probably live there as an important film that caught the rise of drone warfare. I mean, we're, there's not a lot that you can say now that is news to people because it's been available for, for a long time. But um, what you created did chart the rise of drone warfare through the eyes of these and experiences of these whistleblowers. So uh, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to say. I mean, these are the projects that you're working on trying to wrap up um, but if there was anything else you wanted to tell people to go find, uh, your, this would be the time to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, please, please go ahead and, and search for us and try to, you know, spread the word and promote it. Because, yeah, independent documentary, independent journalism, independent news, you know, what you're doing here is, is, is really, it's so valuable. And it's, you know, otherwise you're not going to hear about a lot of um, things that are going on in the world. It's, it's just a fact, you know, it's like um, investigative research and original research is extremely time consuming and, yes. and, um, and also expensive. And it's, it's, I think there is really, it's, it's just becoming more and more difficult. So yeah, when people hear it, you know, do your part as a citizen if you want a free press and an independent press, you know, kind of look, seek us out um, and support us if you can, so. Word of mouth, and I'm, I'm probably not exaggerating. If, 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 if during the first weeks of streaming, people are consuming this film and uh, future films like the ones you and uh, Codebreaker films are making, uh, that's going to make it possible for you to do future projects that are um, along these lines and you know yes. you won't have to go uh, I don't want to denigrate anybody else's work but you won't have to go make something that's more uh, mainstream of a documentary that is a more accessible you know as they call it human interest story that doesn't get into politics or something like that um, what was the joke the one that won the Oscar it's a, a guy befriending an octopus underwater my octopus teacher uh, and and people just kind of felt like there are so many deep social political issues, stories being told, and we're getting a story of a man, a white man's uh, relationship with an underwater octopus. It just it just doesn't seem like yeah. it might be a good film, but like, and we end up, we have the power to change it, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. someone else. It's 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 all of us. So yeah, so, <laughs> and a very like odd story too of like, does the octopus even want to be with that human underwater? You know, it's just like. It's so uh, anyways, thank you for joining to to discuss and for everyone who's tuned in and watching. Um, I'm just going to plug my stuff here very quickly um, and, and let people know that if you go here, this is the newsletter for updates on whistleblower stories. And then um, after that, I'll say oh, we'll see you around. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Dissenter Weekly. Thanks for your reporting, Kevin.